tonight I'm going to do something just a little bit different, and uh, usually you wouldn't, uh, I'm, I'm going to preach, uh, but uh, usually you, you, you don't want to have the youth pastor preach uh, about teens when teens aren't in here, but tonight I'm, I'm going to, because I've got to let you in, and we do have some teens here, so they, they uh, can uh, acknowledge what has happened this week, but for those of you who uh, may not have kids in our school, for those of you who are grandparents and you don't even have kids school age, for those of you who uh, are, can't hardly remember having kids, um, all of this tonight will be for you. So I don't want you to think that this is just for parents of kids in our school. This is for parents who have kids school age. This is for parents who have, have had kids. This is for grandparents. This is for aunts and uncles. This is for those of you, maybe you've never had children. This is for you. Tonight, I want to talk and, and try to carry what Pastor Steve did in our youth group. I want to carry it into this room right here. Because I think it's only fair that you as the church understand that when you support our school, you are supporting something that is doing something great with our kids. So when you put money in the offering plate and it goes to pay for this building, it goes to turn the lights on, it goes to put heat in our building and cool air in our building, and it pays for that gymnasium, and we do these things, that money is going to do something great in young people's lives. And you deserve the credit for it. You're the ones who had the vision to start this school years ago. And I applaud you for that. Because there are great things happening in our school. And this week, as Pastor Steve preached, um, I, I told him I'm going to have to step up my game because white boys can't dance. And he has been doing a lot of dancing all over these platforms, and so I'm going to have to learn some moves now. And... Uh, it has, he, has, he has come in with vitality and, and fervor for God, and he has challenged our young people. And as a result of that challenge being put out there, the kids have responded. And it got me thinking, uh, this marriage retreat, uh, sitting around the table with, with couples who have young kids. It's been a while since I've had young kids. And if you have young kids, I'm sorry, uh, there's, those years are not easy years. Those years, and I got thinking about the training of a, young, of a, of a kid, and I remember, and, and some of the things that, uh, I was not a good kid. I wasn't a bad kid, but I was a mischievous kid. If you could get into it, I would get into it. And I remember thinking, at, when we started having children, uh-oh, and my mother just laughed. She just was like, oh yeah, is coming around. Full circle, baby, full circle. Because I remember as a kid, the, the, the old TV sets, and I was talk, talking to my children about the first TV set that we had, and we had, it had dials. Like you actually had to get up out of your seat to turn a dial to turn the TV station. Do you remember those TVs? And the best part for me as a kid was the back of the TV, now, if you never went to the back of the TV, you really missed out. Because on the back of the TV, if you had a screwdriver, there were, some of you are shaking your head, you know where this is going. You could adjust the color of the people on the TV. 
Like you could turn them red, you could turn them green. You could adjust the height of the people on the TV. Like you could, you could turn that little dial. Some of you have been there. You have the marks on your body from your parents letting you know we don't adjust the TV. And I remember one, one time that I got back behind our TV to play with it to see how this thing works and our TV was never the same again. And I thought, as I had children, it is difficult to raise children. And then I remember as I was in the teenage years, I found out that there was a friend of mine who detailed cars for a living. Like that was his job was cleaning cars. And then I found out how much money he made cleaning cars. And I thought, as a teenager, well, I can make some money. And so I convinced my parents to allow me to wash their car and clean their car in the spring. And so my dad, he said, sure. He said, I'll pay you to do it. So I went out and we had at the time, I talked about with the young people this morning, we had a full-size Ford Econo van with the huge oversized captain chairs behind the driver's and passenger seat. And so sitting behind you had this huge luxurious chair. And in the back, the, the bench seat turned into the queen mattress that you would, you know, I don't know why we, ever, we never did that, but they, it could do that. And we had this huge mammoth van and my dad was like, I'll give you three bucks if you clean the van. I'm like, as a teen, $3 is $3, let's go. So I, I began to clean the van and we had the white wall rims, or, or wheels at that time. And so you had to get the Brillo pad out and scrape, wash those white wall rims and cleaning out the, the tires and the wheels and, and cleaning the whole van. And we had just gone on a vacation and you know that when you come back from vacation, the van's really dirty and driving at night, you know, all the bugs all over the front of the van. And so I'm really trying to prove to my dad that I can wash the van and, and, and I can clean. I don't, I don't, he doesn't have to take it anywhere or have anybody do it. He can pay me. If he's going to pay somebody, pay me. I'll do it. And so I remember that van was looking sharp and the only thing I couldn't get clean was the bugs off the front of those vans. And if you remember, those vans are pretty flat on the front. Not completely flat, but pretty flat. And I remember I'm scrubbing and I'm doing everything I can. I mean, I've got everything out there. All the stuff that he has in the garage, I have out there trying to get that van clean and it will not come off. And I'm thinking, I have got to get this off or he's not gonna pay me. And so I got thinking, those Brillo pads from the, from, that I used on the tires. So I grabbed a Brillo pad and across the front, just a little bit, I wanna make sure it was gonna work first. Sure enough, those bugs came off. And I'm like, sweet. So across the whole hood of the van, I take that Brillo pad and I'm just going in circles through that whole, and some of you, you know what that's gonna do. That doesn't shine it up. I got done, I dried the van, rinsed it off, dried it off and pulled and stepped back and I'm like, what is that? And as a 14 year old boy, you're looking at that van going, my dad's gonna kill me now. So what did I do? I pulled the van in the parking spot and walked away, hoping dad ain't gonna notice. He's never said anything to me since then, but it takes time to train children and children make mistakes. Our kids, I know our kids in our school and in our church are not perfect, but I love our kids. I love them a lot, and so tonight, I want to speak to you as a youth pastor, challenging you as parents, you as grandparents, you as aunts and uncles, to move forward, 
to take what has happened this week with our young people in our school chapel and Wednesday night and on Sunday night, the challenges that were put forth to them and the responses that they made for us as a church to help them move forward. That's our job. If I can encourage you to encourage your children, we can go a long way. They say that the, that the young people are the heart of the church. They're the excitement of the church. And if we can keep that excitement going in the, in the right direction, serving God, following God, responding to God, then we can see our church do great things. And so my challenge to you tonight is that we would look at the word of God and we would see that there is a call to us to serve God. As I was thinking about this evening and, and what to preach about, I, get, I got thinking about Moses and Joshua and the relationship between Moses and Joshua. And one of the things that I, that I got thinking about was that, well, turn your Bibles to Joshua chapter number one. We're gonna look at Joshua here, but Joshua and Moses had a very special relationship. It wasn't father and son, but, if, but starting in Numbers chapter 14, and we're not gonna turn there, but starting in Numbers chapter 14, Moses and Joshua begin working together and you see them. You see that Moses has called Joshua out and Moses had, has asked Joshua to step forward and, he is, and Joshua has responded to Moses. We don't see, we, we don't see Nun, his father, working through the life of Joshua. And I don't know if Nun was dead at that time. I don't know if Nun was not active in his son's life at that time, but I do see throughout scripture that Moses was impactful in Joshua's life. And that's the first thing that I wanna challenge you with. Maybe you don't have a kid that's in the youth group. Maybe you don't have a child that's in our children's ministry but you can step alongside a young person and you can have a deep impact in their life. Sometimes, I'll be honest with you, teens are scary. If I were to say to you, hey, I want you to come up and I want you to teach the class in the teen room this week, most would be like, I'm out of town. I ain't, I'm, I, I'm, not, I'm not here. I can't do it. Well, when can you do it? I'm out of town for the rest of my life. Can't do it. Teenagers are a little bit intimidating. I mean, they sit there and they look at you and you wonder, what are they thinking? The honest fact is nothing. There's nothing going on. It's not that they're mad, it's that there's nothing happening. They have to get a kickstart. And early in the morning Sunday school classes, you can say anything you want. They ain't there. They are not there. But you can walk alongside a young person, and it's weird. If we bring young people into a place where there are a bunch of older people, it doesn't matter. When we bring those little kids up and they sing in their kids' choir, it doesn't matter what they do. We don't care, right? We want to see them. They're just cute, they're funny, the things that they do, the way that they sit there and they rock and they, they, I mean, just everything that they do, we just appreciate them. But I wanna flip that around. Do you know if you see a young person and you walk up to them and say, 
I don't think I know you. They're going to be taken back at first and wonder what they did. But once they get over the shock and they realize that you, as an adult in our church, really has an interest in them, that means a huge deal. I see Mike Tony stand at these doors, and he's just smiling and shaking hands like he's a politician. <laughs> and people walk up to him, and they are so excited to see Mike. And our young people, he grabs our young people by the hand, puts his arm around their shoulder. And I don't know what he says or what type of relationship he has with them. But you know, if there were Mike Tonys all over this church that would invest just a few seconds into the life of these kids, we could have a Moses and Joshua relationship. If we as adults would step out of our comfort zone and get the young people to step out of their comfort zone, we could create partnerships throughout this church that we could then see Joshua's rise up to be the next leaders of our church. But we oftentimes step back and we say, I had kids, I did my duty, I've done my job, I'm not in that phase anymore, I'm out. But let me tell you, we need you. As the youth pastor of this church, as, the, as leading our young people, I need you. I need you to walk up and encourage these kids. As a dad who has a son that gets up here and beats this box, I need you as old adults to walk up to him and say, good job. You may not even like that. But that boy is getting outside of his comfort zone and when you respond to him in a positive way, he says, I can serve God. When Stephen and Max and our, and our young people get up here and sing, for us to say to them, man, you did a great job, awesome job. They say, I can do that again. We need to encourage them because we need our Joshua's. Our Joshua's are all over this room. Our Joshua's are up in the teen room. Our Joshua's are in our children's ministry. But we need Moseses to come alongside them to lead them, guide them, direct them, and train them. And so tonight, I'm going to give you a, the conclusion. I'm going to ask you to be a Moses. I'm going to ask you to step outside your comfort zone. Maybe you have kids. We need you as parents to walk alongside your kids, but we need you to grab others along the way. We need you to reach out and grab kids and say to them, I'm going to be your Moses, you're going to be my Joshua, and we're going someplace. We need adults to lead our young people. You say, well, I'm retired. Good, you got more time to be with young people. That isn't an excuse to me. That's the reason you got free time. We have people that come in here that are retired that come and sit in chapel. Our kids look at them like, what are you doing in here? But it shows that there is an interest in the lives of our young people. And we need you to do that. We need you to show our young people that you're interested. Joshua, as you read his life, he says in Joshua chapter number one, look at verse number one, it says, now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses minister. Joshua stayed in the lane that God gave him. As parents, here's a challenge for you. Teach your kids to stay in the lane that they're in. 
When you are teaching your child to learn to drive, you remember those days? You'd take them out and you'd drive around the city. And what would you tell them as a car was coming and they're riding real close to the center lane? Get over. Then they get over too far to the right. You're like, get over. Stay in your lane. So many times we have parents that teach their young people to look at the lane beside them. When I was in third grade, I was running a race. It was track and field day at school. And I was running this race and a kid beside me kept creeping into my lane. He was supposed to stay in his lane. But he kept creeping into my lane. And as a result of him coming into my lane, he knocked me over, I fell, and I have a scar. If you want to see it, I'll show you later. It's really big. It's between my two fingers here. I have a scar. It reminds me of that kid that kept coming into my lane. But you know what? As parents, we often do that. We often tell our kids to look at the next phase of life or our children naturally look at the next phase of life and say, I want to be in that phase when we need to teach them to enjoy the phase that they're in. Elementary kids, what happens when they get into sixth grade? Can't wait to be in junior high. Junior high kids, what do they do? I can't wait to be in high school. High school kids, what is it? I can't wait to learn to drive. High school kids, I can't wait to be a senior. Seniors, I can't wait to be in college. College, I wish I could be back in high school. Right, Andrew? Always looking at another lane to be in and we're not teaching them to enjoy the lane and stay in the lane that God has given you. Joshua never sought to be anything other than Moses' servant, the minister of Moses. And Joshua served Moses powerfully. And if we teach our kids to enjoy the lane and stay in the lane that God has given them, that God has put them in, they can do powerful things. But instead of teaching them to enjoy that lane, we teach them to look at another lane. And when you, when you manipulate this way and you do this, then you can get over here and you can do this. And then if you can adjust this and change this, then you can get here. And we just need to teach our kids to stay in the lane that God has put you in, enjoy that lane, and work as hard as you can. And when we do that, we all succeed. If you look, hold, hold in Joshua chapter 1 and turn over to Exodus chapter number 17. Exodus chapter number 17. And this is a story of Moses and Joshua. In verse number 12, we're, I'm, I'll, I'll catch you up to verse number 12. The Israel is going to fight. And God told Moses, as long as you hold your rod up in the air, Israel will be winning. You drop your hands, you drop that rod, and Israel will begin to lose. And so Moses had to keep his hands up in the air. Now Moses was up in a mountain, and he had picked Joshua, and he told Joshua, he said, Joshua, choose you some men and go out and fight. And so Joshua took his men, and he went out and he fought as hard as he could, and Joshua did not realize what was going on in the mountain. But I want you to see I want you to grasp and see this picture of what's happening. Joshua has no idea what's going on, but up in the mountains, something is happening that is allowing Joshua to win. So in verse number 12, 
It says, but Moses' hands were heavy and they took a stone and they put it under him and he sat thereon. And Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands, the one on the one side and the other on the other side and his, his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Moses was interceding for Joshua. Joshua succeeded because Moses interceded. We need parents that will intercede for their kids. We need parents that will stand there with hands raised and beg God, please God, I'm interceding for my child. Help him, protect him, keep him. We need people, we need adults, we need you that are retired, we need you that have kids in this school to walk this school and pray over this school and ask God to intercede in this school so that the spiritual atmosphere is such that God can work in the hearts and lives of these kids. We need you that are parents of our public schools, if you can't get into the schools, to walk around those schools and pray that God protects those kids in that school. We need you as parents, as you see kids, to stop and to pray for those kids. As adults seeing young people come into this building, we need you to stop and we need you to pray over them. We need you to go down here to the nurseries and you can't get in there during Sundays unless you have permission to get in there, but we need you to come in here and we need you to pray over the nurseries that God would work in the hearts and the lives of our kids, that we'd see them come to know God. Moses interceded for Joshua, and as a result of Moses' intercession, Joshua succeeded. When are our children going to succeed? When we intercede for them on their behalf. Parents, are you interceding for your children? Are you taking your children before God? Are you placing them on the altar and saying, God, they are yours? Give me a moment with them, but God, I will raise them for you. My heart and my passion is that they serve you and you turn your kids over to God. Are you interceding for your kids? Are you challenging them spiritually? Are you asking God to reach out to their friends, to those that they go to class with? Are you interceding for our kids? In Deuteronomy chapter 34, just, it's the last chapter of, of uh, Deuteronomy, so just before Joshua chapter one, if your finger is there, you can just turn back there. In verse number nine, Deuteronomy 34, verse nine, it says, and Joshua the son of Nun was full of the spirit of wisdom for Moses, had laid his hands upon him. And the children of Israel hearkened unto him and did as the Lord commanded Moses. Joshua succeeded spiritually because Moses' prayer for him, prayed for him, and laid his hands on him. Some of your kids this week made decisions for God. On Wednesday night, on Sunday night, during the week, they made decisions for God. You ought to go by their room as a parent. Sometimes I do this when my kids are sleeping. I hope they don't wake up because they will freak out. I go in their room and I put my hand on their head. And I just pray. God, will you use my child? God, will you keep my child? Parents, do you do that 
Do you walk into your kids' rooms and, or stand outside their door and pray over them? Do you ask God to bless them? Do you ask God to raise them up to be leaders? We need Joshua's. But until we have Moses's that will invest their lives in young people, we won't have Joshua's. Let's look at Joshua chapter 1. That was just the introduction. Joshua chapter 1, verse number 1. Now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, into the land which I do give them, to them, even to the children of Israel. I want you to see the first thing. In verse number one, I already, we already talked about it a little bit, but Moses' minister, Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister. God is looking for people to be his servant. Do you realize today that people don't want to be servants, they want to be served? You go someplace and you try to find a waitress or a waiter that gives good service. It's difficult. I mean, somebody, I like to challenge the waiters or waitresses, I like to drink my beverage as fast as I can to see if they will keep it full. A good waiter or waitress will keep that drink full. And I'm just, I am drinking as fast as I can to see, if, see how good they are. But to find people that are, that are interested in serving and that doesn't mean that we as parents serve our kids. We teach them how to serve. One of the things that I appreciate about Pastor Rands is oftentimes uh, when there are events in church that are going on, he's the last one to eat. Do you know why? Not because he's the last in line, but because he's serving us. And that is our job is to serve each other. Our job is to teach our kids how to be a servant. Our job is to teach our kids how to serve each other. Are you teaching your kids how to be a servant? Or are you just giving them everything that they need, everything that they want, so they grow up with an entitled mentality? I don't want to serve nobody. I want people to serve me. We ought to be teaching our kids how to be a servant. Being a servant is a key to being a leader. You can't be a good leader until you learn how to be a good servant. Joshua and Moses spent time together, and Joshua watched Moses. Moses, the servant of God. Moses had learned how to be a servant, and he was teaching and transferring that information to Joshua so that Joshua could be a servant. And Joshua, learning how to serve, became key for him to be a leader. You want your kids to be good leaders? Have them learn to be good servants. Have them learn how to serve people. Be aware of what's going on around them. Serving the folks that walk through these doors. Serving the people that come through here. If we begin to serve each other as God intends for us to serve, 
love each other as God intends for us to love, give to each other, we will become a place that is irresistible to people. Because people are looking for people that are genuine. And if we begin to serve people out of a genuine heart, we will see our Joshua's rise up and begin to lead in our church. You, we can't, I think, I think of the story of David when he went to uh, the, the battle where the Philistines were on one side and Goliath is standing in the middle and nobody would go out and fight Goliath and, and David said, I'll go fight him. Saul brought him up and he said, here, David, let me give you my armor. And David put that armor on and he said, wait a second, I can't do this. I can't be you. I have to be me. We can't keep putting armor on our kids and try to make them something leaders. Here, let me make you a leader. Let me put you in this fast track to being leadership. Let me put you on. We have to put them in the armor that God gave them. Put them in the situation that God gave them to allow them to be a servant and learn that first. If we can teach our kids to be servants, we can teach them to be leaders. As parents, as grandparents, I know you want to spoil grandparents, you want to spoil your kids. I can't wait to have grandkids. I mean, I can wait, I will wait for a while to have grandkids, but I can't wait to have grandkids because I hear that they're better than children. And so I can't wait to have them. And I will spoil them. But I'll also teach them to be servants. And I hope that my kids teach their kids to be servants. Joshua learned how to be a servant. Second thing I want you to see is verse number two. It says, Moses, my servant is dead. Now therefore, Arise. So the first thing is, Moses, my servant, is dead. All leaders fade off the scene. You may say with our church, man, we're doing great. We're doing good. Man, if, if Pastor Stephen comes to our church, I can't, I can't wait. I think he's going to fill a hole that is going to make our church move forward. Now, if that's what God wants for him to do. If God doesn't have for him and his family to come here, we're going to get a square peg trying to shove him in a round hole and it ain't going to work. But if God has him come, we will be able to see God do great things. But you realize that one day, Moses is going to pass off the scene. Moses is going to pass off the scene. Moses is going to pass off the scene. And we need Joshua's to rise up. All servants fade off the scene. All Moseses go away. Greg playing the piano tonight. Man, I just enjoy watching him play that piano because he enjoys playing that piano. But we need, Mo we need Joshua's to rise up to play that piano when Moses can't do it anymore. All leaders fade off the scene. And the tendency is for us to think that good things aren't going to happen like they did in the days of Moses. I mean, can you imagine the children of Israel and the things that they saw with Moses. I mean, Moses came in and he said to the children of Israel, God told me to lead you out. And the people of Israel go, okay, what are you going to do? You're just going to take us out of here? He goes, no, 
hang on. He went and talked to Pharaoh. Pharaoh's like, no, the people ain't going. He goes, okay, we're turning all this water to blood. Wow, that was a cool. You ain't seen nothing yet. Because tonight, frogs are coming. And lice. And the final death angel. All of these things Moses did. And then he gets all the people out of, the, out of, out of Egypt and they come to, the, come to the Red Sea. And the people of Israel say, what are you gonna do now? Moses goes, I don't know. I gotta go to God. God says, just raise that stick. I think after a while, I'd be protecting that stick because people would think there's something with that stick. It wasn't the stick, it was God. And God says, raise that stick. Moses raises the stick, the Red Sea parts. I think I would be amazed at that. I don't, think we would, I don't think it would be like us reading the story today. You know, for us, when we read the Bible, we're like, and they left and they crossed the Red Sea. I think it would be like, they crossed the sea. That thing just, it's, it's, it's split. I can't even believe it. I mean, can you, do you remember that day that we came to the Red Sea and we didn't know what, we're, what was gonna happen and all of a sudden, he like raised this stick and the, it was dry. I mean, it wasn't even wet. I mean, I picked up a handful. I stuck it in my pocket because I wanted to keep it because it was in the middle of the Red Sea and who ever going to get anything from the Red Sea? That's a woman going through the Red Sea. And then I saw a fish and the fish was there and the fish were looking at me like, what, you don't go through the Red Sea. I'm supposed to be here. You're not supposed to be there. And you're going through there and you're walking along and all of a sudden you hear, and you look behind you and here's like cloud of dust and here's all these chariots and horses coming at you. And you're like, what's it gonna do? What Moses, now, now, now you created the sea. Now we're gonna draw in the sea. Why are you gonna do this? Why did you bring us out here? We might as well die. And Moses said, don't worry about it because those guys, they're gonna perish. Don't worry about it. They're gonna go, just run quick. And so we run across the Red Sea and I was the last one and the chariots were coming behind me and they were coming after me. And all of a sudden, you wouldn't believe it. Then I turned around and I looked and all and then all the, the chariots and horses and all these people are flying everywhere. And I'm like, you wouldn't believe it. It was awesome. It's not, yeah, and they crossed the Red Sea. That's not how it happened. And then they got across the Red Sea and they're like, woohoo, we're free. We're starving. Give us food. And it's not like your kids when they say, hey, dad, I'm hungry, and they just had lunch. It's like, dude, there's like two million of us and we're starving. Give us food or you die. Come on, stick. And he goes, God, I need food. And you wouldn't believe it. The next day we get up and there's like food everywhere. Yeah, what happened next? The next morning we got up, there's food everywhere. It was like a huge buffet every day for 40 years. Didn't you get tired of it? Yes, we did. But you'll never believe what happened. Pastor Steve thinks he has a great hunting story. His hunting story is nothing compared to God. The children of Israel didn't have to do nothing. All of a sudden, quail are just like, out of the ground, out of the, out of the sky, just falling. I don't know if they were just like, laying there dead, or if they had to catch them. I don't know what they had to do, but every day, quail, manna, quail, manna, quail. It was everywhere. Didn't you get thirsty? Yes! We got so thirsty, we were to kill Moses. And you know what Moses did? It was that stick again. I knew there was something with that stick. He took that stick and wham on this rock, and all of a sudden, out of this rock, it wasn't like this little, it was this, I mean, in our minds, we're like, we need something to drink. 
Moses hit a rock like a little pebble and he held this pebble up and everybody came by like a drinking fountain out of it. That ain't what happened. Two million people, animals, cattle, everything that was there drank from this rock. It was a gusher. He hit this rock and came out, everybody drank from it. And the most awesome part was not that he had to keep hitting rocks as they went through the desert for 40 years. That stupid rock kept following them. Don't look now, but I think the rock is following us. (laughs) It is. Sweet. And you know the little kids went up and they like took a stick and like whack. Whack, whack, whack. Nothing. But Moses, boom, water. Moses was the man, but Moses was dead. And God had to have a Joshua that would rise up and say, though Moses is dead, God has good things for us and we're moving forward. Joshua took them to the promised land. Moses, who did all these amazing things, Moses, who went up in the mountain and God wrote in stone the tablets, the Ten Commandments, and Moses met God face to face, and Moses, whose face glowed because of his relationship with God, Moses was dead and didn't take him into the promised land. But Joshua who Moses had invested in, Joshua, who Moses had trained, Joshua, who God had learned to teach and to train, Joshua, who Moses transferred his knowledge about God and transferred his passion for God to, Joshua was was now there to lead them into the promised land. And we need Joshua's to rise up and to take us, the people of God who are too scared to move forward, We need Joshua's to rise up to lead us into the promised land that God has promised us. And I ask you tonight, where are the Joshua's that are gonna take us to the promised land? Where are the Joshua's who aren't gonna be afraid of those things that we were scared of? Where are the Joshua's that are gonna take us to the place that God promised flowing with milk and honey, greater than anything we could ever imagine? And we get content wandering around the desert. And Joshua is saying, I cannot wait. I cannot wait till we get to that promised land. I saw it. I saw what's over there. If you could just see what's over there, you would want to go too. And finally, Joshua rose up and God said, all right, Joshua, take him across. Joshua never did the same things Moses did. Joshua didn't hit any rock and water come out. Joshua took the people across the Jordan River and the manna dried up. Forty years God has given them manna and quail. Joshua becomes our leader. Yes, Joshua, let's march across this river. Joshua, where's the food? I don't know. Joshua, how are we supposed to drink? I don't know. Joshua, what are we supposed to do? Take that city. God promised us this, and we need Joshua's who aren't afraid of the unknown to lead us into the path 
and the place that God has for us. But we need Joshua's. We need young men and we need young ladies who aren't afraid to move forward for God. We need young men and we need young ladies who aren't afraid to step out into the unknown and say, I don't know what God's gonna do. I don't know. All the provision that we had for 40 years is dried up, but God promised us he would take us and provide for us. We need Joshua's. They're gonna rise up, but we need Moses's who are gonna train our Joshua's. I wrote down three thoughts as we conclude. Where will Joshua be when we face the challenge of the promised land? Where will Joshua be when we face the challenge of the promised land? Will we have taught him to be a servant? Will we have taught him to be a servant? That's our job. That's our task to teach Joshua to be a servant. Will we have challenged him to look for God to work in new and powerful ways? Will we have challenged him to look for God to work in new and powerful ways? If Joshua would have just picked up that stick that Moses had, and said, this is where it's at. It never would have worked for him. He had to step into that promised land and say, okay, God, what now? What are you gonna do now, God? I've seen you do amazing things. I've seen you work miracles. I've seen you do things that no one would have ever thought could have happened. I've seen you do them, but now, what are you gonna do? How are you going to lead us now? How are you going to provide for us now? What are you going to do? And God said, Joshua, just listen and take the first step. We need our young people. We need to teach our young people not to just be content with what God has done in the past, but to see that God wants to do amazing things in our future. And then the last thought is this. Will we have shown him the importance of dwelling in God's presence. Moses, all of you adults in this room are Moses. Do you dwell in the presence of God? Have you learned to dwell in God's presence and to be able to sit there as Moses did and beg God, God, show me your face. And God says, now I can't show you my face, but if you stand here, I'll let you see my glory. Do you beg God to show you his glory? Do you dwell in the presence of God? This world, this church, needs Moses. Will you be a Moses? Will you be a Moses? Will you find some young person? Maybe it's a kid sitting in this room with their parents. Maybe it's Josiah. Maybe it's Chelsea. 
Maybe it's Trista. And you go to them and say, I don't really know you, but I want to. And you begin to love on them, and you begin to mentor them, and you begin to lead them and show them God's goodness, and you become a Moses to them. And one day, you'll be able to step back and say, Joshua, it's all your show. But if we don't have any Moses, we can't have any Joshuas. Tonight, will you choose to be a Moses to a young person?